Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity, recorded in the pod at White City Place. I'm David Michon. There are a lot of brands that sell themselves on design, where function and quality are set as differentiators, paired with just the right amount of aesthetic finesse. We see today industry report after industry report confirming that companies who maintain design as a core value outpace their competitors. Yet this is not a new phenomenon. Companies have been harnessing the power of good product design and good brand in a very conscious way for well over a century. Today in the pod, perspectives from the old and established and the new and startup, as we talk about what work each has to do to develop their brands, tell their stories, and rise to become benchmarks in their industries. Um, my name is Scott Newland. I am an industrial designer, and I lead the design team at the grooming company Harry's. And I'm Emily C.M. Anderson, a graphic designer and creative director um, based in New York City. Scott is an industrial designer and the vice president of design at Harry's, having joined the grooming company in its infancy in 2013. With design being one of the company's central pillars, Scott leads design across all touchpoints of the company, from physical products and packaging to branded environments. Functioning as an in-house design studio, Scott's team is tasked with elevating the experience of men's care, bringing thoughtfulness to a previously mundane activity. Emily is a New York-based graphic designer and creative director and is the former brand art director for esteemed furniture company Herman Miller, developing a range of branded content including short films, exhibitions, publications, and catalogs. They also happen to be husband and wife. Scott and Emily joined us during the 2019 London Design Festival in September, where Harry's exhibited a collection with British designer Tom Dixon. So Emily has just left Herman Miller, where she spent the last five years, uh, or you have, pardon me. Um, so it'd be, I thought it would be interesting to talk about what the relationship between your end of the design and my end of the design um, industry uh, and the difference between our two companies, um, particularly like working with someone like Herman Miller, who's so established, um, and uh, someone, I guess this is where I could come in, but like um, offsetting it with a company that is brand new. Um, you know, you can walk in and still smell the paint on the walls. Um, but we still believe kind of like Herman Miller that design is just super important. So we'd love to hear, obviously we talk about it all the time, but I still want to hear like how you're feeling, especially now that um, you're kind of off on your own and thinking about what you're going to do otherwise. So you're back to small, yeah. but I'd love to hear about me personally. I'd love to hear more about big and I know we talk about it a lot, but this is a different format. Definitely. Uh, no, uh, being in-house, I think you just to kind of position it, being in-house, I think, has so many advantages. Um, and I think one point that's not a contrast point, but a real differentiator uh, in design is the ability to actually, that in-house allows you. So you're able to really dedicate and be able to solve the problem directly from the source. So oftentimes you can navigate the organization itself and use kind of design thinking and design problem solving to like get at the heart of it, which I think is a big uh, benefit of being in-house. But more specifically, I think, you know, Herman Miller is a 115-year-old company. And with that comes an amazing legacy. Um, but it's also like something, you know, it's very stuck in its, not stuck in its ways, but it's also, you know, it has a lot of history. And with that history comes a lot of infrastructure and a lot of, uh, a lot more to, to navigate, if you will. 
Yeah. Now that seems like something you and I talk about a lot, which is Harry's has no history, essentially. We're six years old. Um, and, you know, when I started, we were 10 people. Um, and um, so to to go from, you know, 10 to I think we're like 350 in New York um, is quite a big deal. It's like shock. Um, and But we have no established, you know, processes or even desks for that matter. So you just sort of make up things on the fly. Um, and that, I feel like I found, I find that to be nice, but back to your thought on, um, uh, going in-house, um, the thing I found most interesting is, and it's kind of a side topic maybe, but is when we interview people, especially those folks that are maybe in a smaller studio or freelancing is the thing that they all kind of hit on is going in-house now, um, especially with a company like Harry's or, or probably Herman Miller too, is you have some, uh, kind of authority or ownership, um, over the full process. So you know Agreed. the 10 people who you're going to be working with, and so you can figure out a great way to collaborate with them or fix problems. Sometimes when you're on the outside and you're just like kind of scratching and clawing or begging to get you know your vision through the 10 or 100 people, whatever, that you'll never really meet, um, it's actually pretty nice to um, just feel like you have like a strong authority or strong ownership. Yeah, I think that's key. And, and also... It allows for the design process to be more fluid or more evolutionary. So, you know, you, you're constantly improving or iterating and you can make those adjustments that is more difficult from a consultancy standpoint. Like your your time is up. You have uh, X amount of time to kind of create or um, provide your deliverables and then you're kind of cut out of the process, which is, I think, uh, something that the, um, the in-house is really beneficial i think to the overall projects and lasting of them yeah it's something i've really honestly really appreciate i never had thought you know i came from a studio you know this but i came from a, a kind of a smaller studio and then did a bunch of freelance myself and um when we were in the, the um you and i shared an office space when we were in that office space together i feel like um if i don't know if you remember but i just remember being on the phone and um, having to run around to different meetings and it just felt like a little like off kilter. It is nice to actually know where you're going and know who you're talking to. Um, and so uh, I think Harry's has definitely kind of delivered that for me. And I, you know, obviously you were at Herman Miller for so long that I, it must have been really meaningful mm-hmm. for you. Um, but how do you think Herman Miller and Harry's is, you you know, Harry's really well too. Like what, what are the differences? <laughs> I don't, we don't talk about Herman sure. Miller maybe, but maybe just like a more, larger, more established? Like, what about the process? Well, I mean, I think one thing I didn't really, one thing I didn't really touch on is, you know, so much is the kind of core values that come with building a place. You kind of mentioned, you touched on a little with Harry's where you're kind of, you're making it as you go. But I think one of the really helpful points is that you just, you have so much to pull from. There's such a big legacy um, that you're, able to reference history you're able to reference like the archive and I think one of my favorite parts about um, the time at Herman Miller was working with our own corporate archivist and being able to pull back through all of um, as we like to joke Amy's like dusty boxes and (laughs) and stacks uh, to like pull out you know those old corporate communications between like the founders um, and the family the Dupree's and um you know, Ray and Charles Eames or George Nelson, you're able to actually pull out and understand what design 
how design and marketing and new product development actually worked. And you're then able to, as a creative, see that insight into the past and kind of, in a way, hold it up to like, well, how is it working now? How, you know, how can we be talking about either maybe the same product um, or something new um, and have all of that kind of insight, I think, is can just make uh, everything much more meaningful. You almost saw the like start of corporate design, right? So yeah, you could go to the archive and literally see the like, this is how George Nelson got uh, Gerard involved and then maybe yes. like Irving Harper involved. <laughs> and you start seeing like, this is how a, like a design driven company actually starts it. I don't, I mean, I don't know the full history of things, but like certainly feels like one of the leading kind of first um, companies that, that really harness the power of design, especially in-house design. Um, with bringing on George Nelson so early into the into the company, I guess. Yeah, and even his predecessor, like uh, Gilbert Rohde, when Herman Miller went modern in the 19... Oh, Amy will fact-check me here, but um, <laughs> I believe it was in the, the 1930s with the House of the Future, you know, when they went modern. It was uh, this idea to not to kind of make your own... They set out on this course to, like, be be modern and, and be design forward um, and respond to respond to the way people were living with design as the solution versus trying to, I think, yeah, they really had a history of relying on their designers to kind of chart the future. Yeah, and Harry's doesn't have an archive. Not yet. No. So we're building that. I think that that is interesting. I've been to the Herman Miller Archive. We've done, Harry's has done a project, a couple of projects with them. We built our offices with our furniture. We worked on the living office, um, as at least as a test case. Um, and so brought in a lot of their designs and put them into our offices and figured out. I think the cool thing about that, if you remember, was like, yep. what happens when a startup is growing? We go from 50 to a hundred. We have to find a new. Yeah, we're scaling, so we have to find a new space. We have to outfit that space. We have room for three hundred people, but we only have seventy-five. And like, how do you utilize the space really effectively? And then as you grow, and suddenly you're like now a space that fits two hundred people, or three hundred rather, like is feeling really tight and really small. Like, what do you do? And we worked really closely with with you all, and and visited the archive as well, um, or with Herman Miller rather than you all, but. Um, uh, I think, but like I said, there's no archive. So we're literally like, how are you thinking about the archive or, you know, how you're on second generation of some of the products and the designs? Like, you know, what is the, what is the process for that? Or how are you thinking about it? Yeah, that's a good question because I think about it all the time because I think like, um, it's the, it's not, this is not selfish. It is literally the history of the company and being that, you know, uh, I've been there for um, almost all of it. It's the history of me in a big way and the things that I've um, and my team and, and the company itself have been able to contribute to, um, I don't know, the landscape, both from a design and from entrepreneurial side um, and, um, you know, creating things uh, generally. And so I think about it all the time is we have all this stuff. Are we documenting it? Are we saving yeah, it? Prototypes. Um, all the prototypes, so correspondence, because I think that's like correspondence is something. Um, those those the personality I think really starts to come out into not just the iterations or the prototypes, but uh, some of the design review or like some of uh, how communication worked. I think that's really one of the more like unexpected things that I found in looking at the Herman Miller archive 
where you start to see into these, not just the relationships and the decision-making process, not just the physical artifacts. Yeah. Um, I hope no one goes back and reads my emails <laughs> about how I like wanted to make the blue more blue or, you know, change from pink to red or something. Cause I feel like they would be, uh, maybe potentially underwhelmed, but you never know. I don't know. Will people read our old emails? <clears throat> spell check. Spell check. Yeah. Lots of spell spelling errors. Um, but I do like back to your thought or question about the archive. We've actually, I don't know how boring this is, but we've actually started like making sure to document everything and be really diligent about it so that hopefully we get a head start. I know that certainly there's a lot of startups that just like you make stuff, you build things, you're on Instagram, you're taking photos, you're, um, I don't know, doing pop-ups or whatever. And you do your best to like let people know in the minute, but what happens with those assets tends to go away and are they preserved the right way? And so let's just say that like if Herman Miller is getting an A on our, you know, archiving their history and preserving that, we're probably like a, a too early to grade, but I think <laughs> at the very least we're like step one. Um, and I think it's, again, the thing that I really like about the, um, uh, your, you know, sorry, Herman Miller's archive and having visited it and then thinking about our legacy um, is that um, we're sort of following in those footsteps. And they're, you know, obviously really big footsteps when you look at the the whole history of what's gone on um, with that company. And I think it's a, it's a really cool, interesting place to like think that a small little startup could um, kind of do some of those things, you know make great design, think about design, have those conversations all while trying to build a business, build a team, build a process. Um, you mentioned going down the archive and like, I don't know, even if it's just for research or getting um, inspiration that you have a place to go. I think we probably a don't have our own place to go. So we sort of, you know, we need yeah. to look at um, what Ray wrote to Eames um, about going to Mexico city or something like that. <laughs> uh that's a good, you bring up a good kind of question. I know one of the things that um, you're really working with now as you grow and have a team, like how do you think about keeping not just inspiration, but kind of uh, when you're in-house, you're focusing on one brand every day, all day. Um, and while it provides great focus, like how are you balancing that with kind of more inspiration or fresh ideas? Like, yeah. That's that's perfect because, like I said before, like when we interview people or we, when I talk about being at within a company, I'm always like, we have ownership. We get, you know, you have so much authority and things feel authentic because they're actually coming from the source. It's like getting water from the tap. Um, and, but the thing is, is it can get stale, right? So people could get bored. Um, that's the other thing we hear in interviews is I'm a little apprehensive of um, – of, of joining a company full time, especially as a creative person, uh, as a designer, because I don't want to design razors every day. In fact, you know, we have friends all the time who are like, what's it like designing razors every day? And um, I kind of always have to be like, I'm actually designing a brand. I feel like that's how I explain mm. it in my head. I rationalize in my head as being that there is no archive, there's nothing to go back to. You're, I'm literally like, I feel like every day designing the brand. And that's more than just like how it looks and feels, although that's the bulk of it. But let's just say like how we interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Certainly, it's not just me. You you know the, the team. I could sit there and name um, just about all 300 of them. Uh, and, but we all work together to, to do that. And that literally means, like, how do we talk to each other? How do we 
in a meeting, this is boring, but maybe in a meeting, like what's the start, middle and end, like those sorts of mm-hmm. things when you have no ground rules because you're, you know, you're, you're building a wet cement. Exactly. Um, and so that's the, the, that's the nice thing is you get to build things, but it is a little, um, it can get a little stale as I mentioned. So the thing that we try to do at Harry's, and I think that this is like, if you use quote in quotes, design driven company, I think you really have to like put your money where your mouth is and put your, um, you have to allow your team and, um, you, you know, the founders or whomever have to allow your designers and your creatives to go out and do things that maybe are not the like, you know, nine to five, you, um, the things you're that you're gonna make a ton of money on. So if they hear this, I apologize, everybody. But uh, but rather like what we call um, what we call cool shit essentially is like how do we get these you know like young really cool designers to go make um, some amazing things that are beyond just um, what the uh, what's at the core of the brand, so that we could then grow that core. So um, where we were you know three years ago is you know, a bit different than where we are now. And I think some of that has to do with, I don't know, someone just started, you know, doodling on their own and maybe thinking of a, this could be a cool photograph or this would be an interesting illustrator to work with. Or um, like we're doing now with uh, LDF is let's go work with a designer and let's be in a design space um, and uh, do something that is like a little bit different than our nine to five. This year you've been partnering with Tom Dixon, uh, for the London Design Festival. And that's about all I knew, actually, despite <laughs> being married and living together. I'd actually, uh, having just seen the exhibition and the space, can you talk more about that process or what it, like, A, how did Harry's and Tom Dixon, like, align? Yeah. And, you know, what do they really kind of share and how did that connection happen? Yeah. So some of it just comes from, you know, me kind of like loving design and, you know, you and I both share that. And so we sort of, at the very least, like know the personalities, maybe not the persons of, of mm. the design world and know what they're capable of. And I think one thing that I thought about um, when I thought about Tom Dixon um, is he's not only an interesting character and, 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 and guy and has an, an amazing office and they make amazing work, but he owns his production. So... At Harry's, we feel the same way. You know, we try to think that we have a really good team and um, that we we make really good things um, and well-designed things. Um, so we thought a partner that does the same and, and understands that process, like the actual, like, going to a, a factory or going mm-hmm. to a CNC machine and, like, getting <laughs> his mechanics. hands uh, yeah, full of oil and, and talking with the, with, the, with the team there. That just felt right to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also have a beautiful space in, in the Cold Drops yard, um, which apparently is a brand new neighborhood. Um, you know, and um, it just, it felt for us like there was just a lot of, um, there was a lot of overlap there. And it felt like it could be really interesting. And for a brand that's never participated in um, a design fair quite on this scale, um, uh, it just, it felt like having established, like, someone based in London uh, mm-hmm. helps and having them, as I mentioned, like care so much about the craft is just felt really important to us. And I think it, it's hard when you're at a brand, especially one that um, makes razors. And so we're a grooming company. Like how do you match 
Tom Dixon up with a grooming company, it can feel really cheesy and it can feel really like contrived. And so that's the balance. Like, how do you make something that people are really inspired by that really like and, um, but doesn't feel cheesy. So what do you think? Did it, does it? <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't think so at all. I mean, yeah. I think the whole premise of the tactility of, of it and how Tom, uh, the Tom studio really worked with a lot of different brands actually was a really authentic, uh, experience. Yeah, and I think as that, we move through the space, not just like the Harry's focus is obviously really cool. Yeah, within and quality, I think the all of the machined aluminum pieces felt really great. Yeah, I think that the the thing that I like about design and 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 something that has always like drawn me in is that it should be fun and should be kind of um, this really interesting experience. And not only is it elevated, but I'm just, in my opinion, like I love when design kind of gets a little bit. Um, deeper than making people, you know, f- feel super inspired. But if they, if they can make them happy or if it can make them laugh, uh, or if it can just be weird, like I like, you know, that I like all that stuff. So, uh, I think we got together and we were like, wouldn't it be cool if you could just do like a Lego set type of a, of a razor handle. So yeah, it ties directly right <laughs> into shaving your face. Um, but at the same time, like it could actually be kind of a fun experience for people. Um, so they could come in and experience the space, but they could also kind of make something of their own and have fun doing it. I don't know, share with their dad what they did or, um, uh, or, um, you know, mix and match. And we've had a lot of people come in and, you know, I think there's like like six pieces uh, that you can um, like create the handle with. And there's like a bottom end that kind of clicks it all together. Uh, There's three of those. And so, I don't know, we've had a lot of people come into this space and figure out the math on all of the, uh, uh, all of the different configurations and someone, always someone running the numbers. Someone came in that I I believe was smart and said something like 196, which is is great. I said, um, my count was like 355,000. And so the guy was like, no, that's, that's very wrong. That's just impossible. That's impossible. No, I, I think it's, I mean, what I think is most interesting is you see like an everyday product, um, like a razor that people interact with all the time. And it's something you don't think about. And I think having uh, that experience of customizing the handle or building it, I think just it's just always challenging uh, your thought on how design plays a role in your life or how you participate with it, um, whether it's by using a functional object or actually questioning or customizing how a functional object could be made. Yeah. Um, and I think those are maybe some of the more deep connections that yeah. uh, aren't overly present that keep it from being the kind of cheesy. Yeah, I hope so. And I think some of our favorite companies, you and I, are like, one of them comes to mind is Alessi. Um, you know, they've clearly, like, worked with some of the greatest designers, um, and they've created objects that are household objects that are yeah. – home goods that you actually use. It's not just something you put on your shelf and step away from and admire, which we, we have some yeah. of that stuff well, too. I, I think they're great at infusing that joy or that yeah. bit of unexpectedness. I mean, we the I love our tea kettle. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a Richard Sapper <laughs> yeah. tea kettle that, that makes a, um, a, what you call it, a whistle, like a train? Yeah, a train whistle sound yeah, whenever the water's ready. That's amazing. So you heard it here silly. first. Harry's is the Alessi of the, <laughs> the shave industry. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Or we pretend to be. Um, but yeah, I, I, those sorts of like, I love that. Those those sorts of like, this is fun, this is um, interesting, but yet still elevated. That's where I feel like Harry's can, can do a good job. 
You're listening to Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. In conversation, our Vice President of Design at Harry's, Scott Newland, and Graphic Designer, Creative Director, and former Brand Art Director Herman Miller, Emily C.M. Anderson. So next, back to Emily. Um, you're moving on with your career. You're on to the next phase. You're barely in it, um, but it sounds like you're really excited because you've got a couple of really cool things going on. Did you want to talk about those? Uh, or rather, would you rather just talk about what, how you're thinking about using the lessons you've learned, uh, especially from the last five years, but even before that, yeah. when you were at your own studio? So it's sort of like you had your own studio, for a lot of years, right? And then you um, went in-house, and now you're back out. Yeah. So how does that, A, how does that feel? And, like, what are you excited about? Or what's what's the plan? What's the I should plan? know this, but I don't, so. <laughs> um, no, well, I think for, for me, um, it's, I don't think of design, like, my role in design, I think, is a little bit different than yours. Um, you're 3D and I'm more like a 2D person focusing on kind of like art direction and action and design and things like that. So as I kind of move on, um, I think the kind of thing I'm most excited, uh, and continuing to develop is really being a 2D designer, art director is you can be really malleable. So you can really work with, uh, a lot of different, whether it's a designer or an artist or a brand, you can really understand like what their vision is or what they're trying to communicate and be kind of their partner or their translator. And that's really like the next couple of projects that I'm working on. I think that's what I'm most excited about is really getting in and understanding um, what their kind of purpose and intention with their project. So uh, working with Justine Kurland um, and the Aperture Foundation in New York on a book of um, – a collection of her photography, you know, you get to actually just be immersed in someone else's vision and world and then translate it and find the best format or the best layout, the best typeface, you know, you just get to really dig deep into their world and then find how that can best be expressed in, in design. I think that's one of my favorite parts about what, what I do. Um, or what You've designed I, a lot of books. I've designed a lot of books and magazines and uh, kind of short, small video pieces. It's really just building and understanding those visions and those relationships to then kind of translate it to all kinds of different formats and mediums. And I mean, I'll always love a printed piece, but yeah. I think that's what I'm most excited about is just uh, all the variety that comes and really kind of being able to deep dive and almost not become an expert, but really kind of live in someone else's creative world for a bit. And tell that story. Yeah, and tell that story. I think that's what's most kind of compelling. And one of, I think it kind of goes back to uh, actually where and how we first met, but um, my my time beginning in editorial design, my first like proper job was uh, at Dwell Magazine, um, and which is where you and I met actually, five-year anniversary party. Um, but every month getting to, you know, deep dive and read and find new ways to show a story and make something yeah. authentic to that. So why do you keep coming back to publication? As you know, publication is, <laughs> does not pay a lot, right? And <laughs> is a ton of work. Um, when you do a, 
I don't know, 800, 900, 600 page book or whatever, <laughs> it is, you end up not just being a designer, but sort of a, especially when you have a limited budget and limited time, you end up being a project manager, yeah, art you director, creative director, gra- graph designer. Um, IT. IT, <laughs> sure. Um, why do you think you keep coming back? I think it, ultimately, I think it's the ability to, or just the role you play from the very beginning to the very end. You're really, again, and that kind of goes back into the in-house thing. You're really with a project through its entire duration. And I don't know, maybe it's the control freakness that uh, lies within every designer, but really just wanting to own every step of the project, like process and ensuring that you're executing at the highest quality and you're, you know, no process is ever smooth. So you're making decisions all along the way and all of those decisions impact the final outcome. And I think uh, having that kind of like involvement and oversight, I think it appeals to me Yeah. in, in owning what really comes out. There's and only- I think the craft, like yeah. you bring up budget where, you know, you can make beautiful things with a small budget and you can make ugly things with a gigantic budget, you know, but I think it's owning the craft and understanding how to best maximize the expression for whatever amount of money. And that comes to knowing, you know, you have an amazing production team at Harry's that can sort and figure every like component out, but it's like that kind of education of how to, whether it's like specking paper or, you know, figuring out how to fold <laughs> something just right. Like all of those kind of like soft pieces can really make yeah. or, or break a, a piece. It's like the craft of the object. Mm-hmm. So this is where you and I are very much aligned, which is in kind of like the crafted object and how it's made um, and the details in it, the materials, like every, like no stone unturned. Mm-hmm. I can I can picture that as an industrial designer, but how does that kind of come out as a graph designer? Because... Well, I think when people think about graph design, a lot of times it can get into photography or styling yeah. or, you know, kind of putting a photo shoot together. Um, but when you're making a book, you're kind of doing something much different, right? Yeah. Well, I think I think for me, no matter what the project is, because, you know, I'm also working on like a kind of a short film or short video project as well. And to me, it's really I try to um, use the the idea of what is this going to be like for someone who's going to be experiencing it? So uh, on a book, that's the first impression of the cover. And then loving all the details, the tiny things like the end papers or how the typography of the table of contents and the title page, page play together, all of those sorts of things. Those are like peeling back the onion skin. Like you're, you're slowly telling that story and that, you know, that could take it a physical form. Or, you know, when kind of storyboarding out like a, a film or a motion project, like what are what are we showing first? How are we building that story? How are we layering these experiences through whether it's color or texture or sound? You know, so to me, I, I look at all kind of design projects as a, a narrative arc or something. Mm-hmm. You're pulling someone through and kind of just adapt the material or the expression based on on that and what are you going to take from your corporate life um into these uh new projects you think what are like the big lessons i mean i think uh i think one of the bigger things that kind of sticks with me is you know the playing out across a lot of touch points like working on projects that have 
elements across, you know, from print to social to video to, you know, so many places that you're really weaving so many more things together. I think that experience um, is something that I, I, I learned a lot mm-hmm. um, and want to go deeper into. This is back about to your next move. What are you most looking forward to? I think the best part is you don't know what's going to happen or you don't know what's coming. And I think uh, that's what's most exciting and terrifying of kind of going out on your own is you don't really know where that next paycheck is necessarily coming from. But uh, with that comes so much possibility. Um, You're like, I I don't think I've checked my email so much uh, (laughs) just to see, you know, what what is going to happen. It's a big contrast from knowing exactly how the next six months are going to look, you know. That was a conversation between Vice President of Design at Harry's, Scott Newland, and Graphic Designer, Creative Director, and former Brand Art Director at Herman Miller, Emily C.M. Anderson. This has been Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a DNN Co. project for White City Place, produced by David Michaud and recorded and edited by Sean Crook. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com, on Twitter or Instagram with the handle at whitecityplace, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And remember to subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, give us a rating and write a comment. It really helps. Until next time. Until next time.